This time we have, Father, to come into your presence and communion. Pray your blessing over each person that's come into this place today, that we would perhaps not leave the same way that we came, that our burdens will have been lifted, that our sins will have been confessed, and that your mercy and grace will flood our hearts. We thank you for the sacrifice that made our redemption possible. And we are reminded of the great step down that our Savior took from glory to the stable, but that he was willing to humble himself for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about <clears throat> gifts, great gifts, the best gifts, uh, some of the, the gifts that have meant the most to you. And as I think about my own life, one of my favorite gifts I ever got that stands out quite memorably in my mind was a, a Johnny Lightning racing set. Man, that was a great gift. Uh, my brothers and I got those, and we loved that gift, and every other gift was great until we recognized that you could also use those lightning tracks as swords. And it was the first time that I played a sword match with my brother that one of those racetracks smacked me across the face, and I recognized this is not such a great thing. Sometimes gifts are like that, right? Now, I wish I had one of those today, because I'm pretty sure it'd be worth a lot of money if you had an intact set of that today, but nonetheless, ours was eaten by dogs and destroyed, and all kinds of things probably happened to it. Gifts can be like that. Some gifts are great for a time, but they don't seem to be a great gift forever. Of course, this is the Christmas season, and two weeks ago, I was talking to you about the story behind the story. And you will recall that two weeks ago, we were talking about King Ahaz and an offer that God made to him for a gift. Uh, you'll recall the situation was, right? There was an enemy coming against the nation of Judah, and uh, that was the Assyrians, and their neighbors to the north, Aram and Israel, were asking for help. And when Judah had refused to offer it to go help fight Assyria, they actually came down and attacked Judah, trying to force them into the battle. Isaiah comes along, and he talks to the king, King Ahaz. He says, God wants to give you a sign. Ask anything you want, God will give it to you, because God's going to be with you. But King Ahaz had no desire to do what God wanted, and he rejected the offer that God made him. And in fact, he did the unthinkable thing. He sided with the Assyrians, effectively assigning the death certificate, if you will, for those nations to the north, and not offering them any help, not doing anything, and letting them be wiped out. You'll recall that that was the story of two weeks ago. And it was in that passage that we heard those words from Isaiah you didn't want a sign, but God will give you a sign anyway. The virgin will give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. I want you to say that word with me in a minute, because it's going to come out in the story today, and we're going to talk more about that term, Emmanuel. So on the count of three, when I point at you, let's just say it together, get used to saying it. One, two, three. Emmanuel. Now, what you may or may, not, may or may not remember is that that means something. It means God with us. So let's say that as well on the count of three. One, two, three. God with us. You guys are really good. You did a lot better than Thursday night. Kudos to you. You're on the ball. All right. There's a lot more to the story of King Ahaz and this prophecy and the things that would happen with these kingdoms. And so I want us to go back 
And I want you to hear about the devastating consequences of Ahaz's decision as they are spoken in Isaiah chapter 8. And we'll begin in verse 5 if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on your app. Isaiah 8 verse 5. Now none of these things have happened yet. But Isaiah says, the Lord spoke to me again. And God said, because this people rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, because they have rejoiced over Rezin and over the son of Ramallah, that is, they have rejoiced that their cousins and their aunts and their uncles are going to be destroyed by the Assyrians. They're happy about that. And God's not happy about that. It, it pains God that bad things are going to happen to some of the Israelites. Therefore, this is what the Lord is about to bring against them. He uses this interesting analogy. He says, the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp, it will overflow all its channels and run over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. He's making a statement about some things that are to come, and this is indeed what will happen. There are, at the beginning of this time, there, are, there will be 32 fortified cities in Judah. But when Assyria attacks, 31 of the 32 will be utterly destroyed and wiped out. Only one will remain, and that's Jerusalem. And that's a story we'll get to in a second. So Isaiah is telling all these things that are about to happen. But if you see this thing, its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, comma. And all of a sudden, Isaiah, who's in the middle of this warning, he's issuing this statement, this almost like a curse of what God's going to bring on the people. He's saying all those things. And then all of a sudden, this pause and a word just jumps out. It seems so out of place in the text. Like he's thinking about these bad things that are coming, and all of a sudden he says, whoa, 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 Emmanuel. I mean, look at it in the text again, right? All this is going to happen. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Emmanuel. I mean, it just jumps off the page. So what is happening in the mind of Isaiah here as he writes this, right? There is gloom, doom, and despair coming bad things. But wait a minute. Emmanuel, in fact, say it with me, one, two, three, which means in Isaiah comes this realization that bad things are coming, but God will still be with us. It's a powerful moment in the story. And as soon as he says the words, God with us, listen to how the prophecy changes. And listen to what comes next, because it's, it's as if just saying the word somehow changed the whole story. And he flips and he immediately says, raise the war cry, war cry, you nations. Raise them and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare, prepare for battle and be, be shattered. Prepare for battle, be shattered, be destroyed. Devise your strategy, it'll be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. Now here, he's going to flip this. Instead of saying Emmanuel, we're going to say what his name means. You ready? For God is with us on three. One, two, three. God is with us. God is with us. 
So even though you're going to sweep in and do terrible things, God is with us. It's not going to succeed. It will not be enough to stop us. Now, don't miss this. The poor choice of Ahaz had devastating and far-reaching consequences. His decision to reject God's offer, his decision to align himself with the Syrian had devastating consequences, and dark times would indeed follow for the nation of Israel. But out of the darkness, a light would also come. And the rest of those passages that we hear in the Christmas story are enlivened in this part in chapter 9 of Isaiah. And they're in the context of hope even in the midst of darkness, of a light that would pierce the darkest of nights. Listen to his words from chapter 9, verse 1, all of which happens because of Emmanuel. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness... A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice because of you and before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice dividing the plunder. For it is as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, And he goes forward here into verse 6, and he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In Isaiah's words, history tells us, were proven true. Shortly after the demise of the northern kingdom of Israel, the king of Assyria did indeed set his sights on the southern kingdom of Israel. Only Jerusalem was spared the wrath of the Assyrians, and that only after the king who succeeded Ahaz, King Hezekiah, did something incredible. Ahaz had refused to let God be the one to solve their problem. But Hezekiah knew there was no one else who could solve their problem. And he remembers, I think, he remembers that God is Emmanuel, one, two, three. Oh, wait, 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 he didn't know what to do there. I'll take that one. 
I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as the Colts collapse yesterday, but it was bad, okay? <laughs> Let's try again, okay? He knew that there was Emmanuel, Emmanuel on three, one, two, three, Emmanuel. which means? And so faced with an army that was unbelievably stronger than his, 185,000 trained Assyrian warriors surrounding the city of Jerusalem under the leadership of General Sennacherib, Hezekiah knows there is no way he can win, but he also believes there is no way God can lose. So he takes everything before the Lord in prayer, and incredibly, because Emmanuel existed and God was with them, in a single night, God's angel put to death 185,000 soldiers in the Assyrian army. The Bible often says the battle belongs to the Lord, and boy, is that not true in this case. God wins the fight for them. God was with them. Darkness was curbed, but it was not defeated. Even in Judah, the darkness of sin was going to grow darker. Wicked leadership would follow Hezekiah and it would kindle wickedness in the hearts of men and women. They would mock God. They would mock the very God who had delivered them from Assyria. They would credit idols, false gods, even their own intellect with their good fortunes. And the people laughed at God's righteous decrees and they once again rebelled against him. Even though God had done so many things for them as a nation, how quickly they forgot. But even if they didn't understand that God was with them, God was still with them. Sadly, God allows the residents of Judah to be enslaved by another nation, the Babylonians. And like Noah's flood, the Babylonian army would sweep across the land devouring the people and the wealth of the land of Judah. The light of a once great, powerful people burned dim indeed. Yet even in captivity, Emmanuel. Which means? Oh, you got it now. And God was with them. In fact, this is a curious number, 70 years almost to the day of their captivity, the king in their foreign land now, the king of Persia, will say, you know what, it's a good idea for you guys to go home and rebuild your temple and your city. <laughs> and we know that Nehemiah and Ezra will be charged with the tax, task of rebuilding Jerusalem and going home and bringing the nation of Judah back. And they will accomplish the mission because God is with them. Nehemiah will rebuild the walls and Ezra will rekindle the fire of faith. And we come within 400 years of the birth of Christ after that time of Nehemiah. Sadly, while we don't have a lot of records in our Bible about those 400 years, it's sometimes called the period of silence, it was anything but silent. The intertestamental period is fascinating and encourages sometimes to read about it. Some horrible things happen. Some incredible things happen. 
faith waxes, it wanes, it has brilliant moments, it has moments that it's assimilated into the broader culture and all kinds of things are happening. But at the end of the 400 years, it creates a world that has people holding on to one or two things. Some people are holding on in a very legalistic way to the law, very devout. They believe God is with them and and that the only way they can survive is by doing exactly every single thing God says. And, and that's in itself not a bad idea. But they then begin to turn their eyes against everyone else who's not as perfect as they are. <laughs> and we have the problems of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that creep in. And sadly, there were a lot of others who had gone through those periods of years and they had become very, well, just say disenchanted with all of it apathetic and uncaring. And it was into that world where the nation is once again struggling, where the world itself is struggling. It was into that world that Emmanuel would make his greatest appearance. Matthew chapter one says it this way, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was was faithful to the law. Some people leaned into the law more than anything else. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save, because he will save. He will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him, which means, and when Joseph woke up, he did what the Lord told him. You've heard me tell the story before, but it's the perfect story for this moment. Uh, It's accredited sometimes with Paul Harvey, it's also been accredited to uh, Guidepost Magazine, I don't really know the source. But the story goes, there was a storm coming one night. And as storms approached the house, there was a family living in an old farmhouse, and the storm was coming. And you know how this goes, right? First, you see the flashes of lightning, you hear the distant rumbles of thunder, and they get louder and louder as the storm is coming. And the little boy who was in the house was kind of nervous about the approaching storm, and so he woke, even though he was in bed, he woke up and asked for his dad, Dad! You know, you've, all of you heard this of your parents, you've been there before, and Dad gets up and he goes in his room. The little boy is concerned, but the dad says, hey, let's just say a prayer. God's got this. It'll be okay. I'm in the room next door. Don't worry. Of course, the storm gets closer. The wind begins to blow. You can hear the rain start to ping off the window, and the boy's really frightened. And so what's he do? He calls out again, Dad! And Dad comes back and again, it's all going to be okay. And he prays with the little boy, and finally the boy lays down, and Dad goes out of the room and Just as soon as dad stepped out of the room, bam, a really close lightning bolt rattles the windows, the thunder rattles the windows, the house shakes, and of course he screams out, dad! 
The dad comes in, he's like, well, what's wrong? And, and he says, well, well, dad, this is terrible. And he said, I told you, son, God is with us. And he said, yeah, but dad, I need God with skin on. <laughs> and that's right. But when you get this, that on Christmas Day, that's what happened. When, when this baby is born, this is God with skin on, living among us. Truly, this is the embodiment of Emmanuel. God really became one of us. He was with us in the flesh. He was present in the world. Emmanuel, God with us. Well, friends, there are storms that come into our lives. In fact, some of you I know are in storms right now. And you wonder in the midst of the storm, (laughs) how are we going to get through this? What's going to happen? Emmanuel is still present. God is still present. He still makes all of the difference. And there are some in this room who have not yet met Jesus Christ, their Lord and their Savior. They've not yet made the most important decision. Because even if God is with us, just like King Ahaz, we have to make a choice. If God is present, if God is with us, Will I allow him to lead me? Or like Ahaz, will I reject his gift, reject his offering? You see, the question before us is, am I willing to let Emmanuel, God with us, change who I am? To follow Jesus Christ, to let him be my Lord and my Savior. If you've never made that decision, this is the day you should make it. Let this be the thing that changes your life. You recognize that Emmanuel changed the course of history for Israel. And Emmanuel will change the course of history in your life if you let him. If you've never yet given your life to Jesus Christ, why not let this be the day that you're faithful in Christian baptism, that you walk the aisle and you say yes to God, yes to Jesus, yes to Emmanuel. If you have a decision to make, will you make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation? Purify my heart, cleanse me from within. 